Always, always room for improvement. <clears throat> uh, today we start First uh, Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians are kind of come together as a book, as it's written so closely together. One of the highlights of uh, <clears throat> or main themes of Thessalonians is suffering, and we've all heard of suffering for a noble cause, but we have to make sure that we understand which sufferings are noble in God's eyes and which sufferings are not. And I thought of, uh, and this actually is referenced at Thessalonians, is the last stand of the uh, uh, Jewish zealots in Israel. They, uh, the Jews revolted against Rome in 66 AD. In that year, the zealots took this fortress uh, high up on a hill, and they held that until 73 A.D. So for seven years, they held it. Uh, Rome, of course, uh, sought to squash this rebellion in Palestine, and they sent two very able generals, commanders, to squash it, Vespasian and his son Titus. They descended upon, um, uh, from the north, look at that, the map's kind of small, but they descended from the north, there's my awesome handwriting, (laughs) And uh, they just destroyed the place. Town after town after town. Tens of thousands of Israelites and whoever else was there killed. They finally made it to Jerusalem. They surrounded Jerusalem. They laid a siege on Jerusalem. And after a couple of years, Titus broke through the wall and destroyed Jerusalem, destroying the temple, fulfilling the prophecy of Christ that not one stone would be left upon another. Titus was done with his part of the rebellion. It was pretty much squashed. But as you can see down south there, that's where Masada is, that little red circle. And those were the fringes of Judea. And he left some other generals, commanders behind to squash these remaining pockets of rebellion. Masada was the last one. You see that uh, where I've highlighted the siege ramp. The Romans, with uh, manual labor, filled with an enormous amount of dirt and rock, a a little crevice that was there, that is all put, it's still there, (laughs) thousands of years, a thousand years later, 2,000 years later, uh, and they made this ramp, they walked up the ramp with siege engines, and they got to the top, the Jews, the zealots in this this place knew that it was over, and according to the historian Josephus, they killed themselves. Almost 1,000 zealots, Before the Romans could break through and and capture them, they killed themselves. So, was this legit? Was this legit suffering by these zealots? Why did they suffer? Well, they suffered because they revolted against Rome. Do we see anybody in the scripture revolting against governments? 
Do we see Jesus revolting against even Pilate or the Sanhedrin? We do not. They suffered uh, because of unfair taxation, because of the rulership of the Romans, and they suffered in a wasteful way. Is this legitimate suffering for God's people? Revolution against the governments or revolt or in any other way? The answer is no. Uh, For the zealots, they revolted against the wrong enemy. As we'll see in these letters, or actually all the letters to Paul, Thessalonians are the first letters that Paul writes. But as we start here, we're going to look at all the letters that Paul has written. And Paul certainly turned the world upside down. But he didn't do it by the sword. And he wasn't concerned with unfair tax laws. These things, governments, political parties, tax laws, they're not our enemies, nor are they the enemies of mankind. Unfair governments and laws have certainly caused a lot of misery in the world. But God never promised us a life without pain. He never promised us a life without suffering. And he's going to teach us, in Thessalonians and in other books, to embrace, and I mean this, embrace the right suffering. Look forward to it. Have joy in it. Get a little excited about it. Sounds antithetical. Sounds like we're, I can never remember. Keith is the one who tells me what's sadism and what's masochism. But I don't know why he knows that. I don't don't even want to ask. Your past is your past. Leave it in the past. When you want to hurt yourself. Asceticism. Which one is it, Keith, when you want to hurt yourself? Masochism. I should say it. It starts with an M, which is me, right? Yeah, okay. Are we masochists? You know, and, and the monks in the beginning uh, of uh, the church had, had sought this kind of misery. This is not the kind of misery that we're after. But yet God did not promise us a life without it. We must embrace that which God has determined us to suffer and to have, actually have joy in it. You could live in the most fair and just world and still be a miserable old coot, wasting your time. Our true enemies are sin, spiritual death, the thinking of the world, and the devil. And we overthrow them in our own soul and in each individual soul with the gospel, with the word of truth, empowered by the Spirit. Christianity has certainly turned the world upside down, but not with the sword. When Jesus asked those thugs who came into the Garden of Gethsemane to to arrest him, yeah, and erase him, they said, he asked them a question, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. His reply was, I am. They all hit the deck. They all worshipped him, not knowing why they did. And Peter pulled out his sword. And Jesus said, put it away. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Is that legit death? Well, no, I'm not talking about war now. There are legitimate wars. But I'm talking about, as a Christian, fighting against authority for the cause of Christ. Is that legit? It is not. What is legitimate in suffering is what Jesus went through. He submitted to it. He submitted to Pilate. He submitted to the Sanhedrin. He submitted to the Father and submitted to the cross. And he showed us the way. So today we start 1 Thessalonians, and our first focus in this book will be the suffering and persecution that comes upon all Christians when they pursue the truth. And this suffering you should embrace. 
before we get into it, let's pray and sing. Let's thank God for his word. Let's thank God for these letters from Paul and the fact that we can understand them through the Spirit of God. They change our lives uh, and the opportunity to sing to him with great joy in humility and reverence. Reverence. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for the guidance and direction that comes from the truth. We ask, Father, that through your word this morning that each of us would be enlightened concerning the things that are true. We thank you, Father, for uh, a life that is from heaven itself through Christ our Lord and the fact that we can live it in a world that does not, does not appreciate and have faith in you. Uh, most of them do not. And so, Father, because of that we suffer but this suffering brings upon us endurance it brings upon us maturity and it brings upon us a quality of faith that really sets our soul free to live unto you that freedom father is power and so we ask father that through your word all of us would come to see more and more of how to live in the freedom that you and you alone have provided and we ask this in christ's name amen all rise please
Oh yeah, that song gets my Irish blood pumping. Ready to go. Um, so, First Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, the background for this uh, uh, book is the second missionary journey of Paul. His first missionary journey on the map there, it's in blue. Yeah, it's very hard to see. Uh, but the, the darker one that is just around this area, that's his first missionary journey. He went to Asia Minor uh, and turned around and came back to Antioch, which is up here. But in red, you see that he left Jerusalem, went through this area, across Asia Minor. Uh, he was, <laughs> sorry, my drawing is not helping here, I don't think. But he wanted to go up into this area, and the Holy Spirit prevented him. So we find out that, you know, he's not able to go exactly where he wants to. He doesn't tell us why the Spirit prevented him, but he, some, I mean, uh, yeah, the Holy Satan prevented him, not the Spirit. So it would, but it would have been the Spirit that allowed it. Anyway, he wasn't allowed to go up to Bithynia. And then he has, uh, when he's in Troas, which is over here on, on the coast, it's a very, this whole area right here is very important because it's a seaport. And Thessalonia is right, right there. It's the major city here that has a major seaport and by which all this trade from the Mediterranean, plus there's a main Roman road that goes from east to west right by Thessalonia, Thessalonica, sorry. And it goes right by this place. And so you can imagine when Paul got here that he thinks to himself, if the gospel takes hold here, it's like having it take hold in, a, in, in like New York. It, it's, it's a place where people are moving and coming from east to west, trading across the Mediterranean. If it takes root here, it can spread, right? This is, a, this is an artery, right, as opposed to a vein, I guess. And so um, Paul sees a vision, when he's in Troas, he sees a vision. And in the vision, there's someone in Macedonia, which is that area. Macedonia is all this over here. And oh, actually, the northern part, I shouldn't include. And to the south is Athens. And he sees this person. He says, Paul, come to us. And Paul goes. And when he gets there, well, first he goes to Philippi. And Philippi has no synagogue, so that was his M.O. Paul would go to the synagogue make them turn in their scrolls to the Old Testament, and he would show Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. But there's no synagogue in Philippi. And there's a, but there's a group of Jewish people who gather by the river. You know, they come down to the river to pray. They weren't singing that song yet. But, uh, and Paul went down there, and he met a fine lady by the name of Lydia. And Lydia started that church. And... Uh, Really, there's opposition in Philippi, but it's not near what he feels in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, they, they, they're after him, and they hate him. They hate everybody. Uh, when I say they, I mean the... So, in Thessalonica, there's a synagogue. There's a, uh, a group of Jews there, a, a fairly large Jewish population. And Paul goes into that synagogue, and he takes out the scrolls. To Isaiah, to Zechariah, to the prophets, through uh, Moses, through the Psalms, and he's pointing it all out. This is the Messiah must suffer and die and be raised again. Do you see it? And as they're scratching their heads, then Paul lets on that this Messiah is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, who they nailed to a cross. 
didn't go over well. For some it did. For others, not so much. Paul then leaves. He's a, he spends maybe a month, maybe two, and he is whisked out of there because uh, he's in danger. His, actually, his whole life was in danger. They got him out of there. He went to Berea and then down to Athens. And the whole time, you know, he's left behind this little church, brand new believers now, in a place that hate Paul and his quote-unquote new religion. They are so adamant about persecuting Paul that when he goes to Berea, which is to the west of Thessalonica, it's 40 miles away. They followed him. And when he had a grip, he was very well received in Berea. But these people, these Jews from Thessalonica, they followed him all the way to Berea and they tried to stop him from preaching, from teaching. He tried to stop the gospel. That's how passionate they were. They failed. You can do nothing against the truth, only for. What am I getting at here is the suffering, right? Why does Paul experience the suffering he does? Is it like the zealots in Masada? It's nothing close. Paul and, and the Thessalonians suffer because of the gospel. They suffer because they teach and live and preach that who came, who came into the world and truly turned the world upside down. Right? All of Western civilization, everywhere you look in our society, everything is under the Christian waters. It's, everything is touched by, touched by Christianity. Our constitution, your rights, our laws... How people even treat each other in morality, families, societies. It's all based on Christian doctrines. Most people don't know that. Christ turned the world upside down. And now, when it comes to suffering, we can either... So, here's what we can do. We can suffer like the zealots and suffer wrongly. Let's say, well, you know, I'm no zealot. But we can suffer by giving in to sin. We can suffer by giving in to the flesh. We can suffer by uh, behaving like the world. These all have natural sufferings to them. There are sufferings that we need to avoid. And then there are sufferings. We'll get to that. But then there's, there's, the, there's the middle ground. There's the suffering. Well, let's get to that. <laughs> there's the suffering of living for Christ, being an open gospel, of a witness or someone who is boldly, not shouting it in people's faces, but truly a witness of the truth of the gospel. We live it. We breathe it. When we see anybody has a problem with Jesus is the answer, Christ is your answer, the word of God is your answer, we're not quiet about this. We know where the solutions are, and we're going to tell people about them. Because people's souls are in the lurch here. Their lives are important, and they should be important to us. And in that, there is the right suffering that God tells us to embrace with joy. 1 Peter chapter 4, I think Peter says it greatly, but we saw it in James right at the opening of his book. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because trials bring about in you endurance. And endurance will have its perfect results, which is your maturity. It makes your faith quality. Hence, God allows it, and God tells us, get pumped for it. Masochistic? No. It's just the way it is. Christ comes into a world that hates him. Is he going to suffer? But what if Christ keeps his... This is good talking right here, right? What if Christ keeps his mouth shut? And, and here's the middle ground that a lot of, especially in Western Christianity, we're looking for. I'm not going to... I don't want to suffer the wrong way. 
I mean, I don't want to become like a, an addict to something that causes tremendous suffering, or I'm not going to do something of tremendous sinful type that's going to create a great amount of suffering on my body and my mind. But I also don't want the other kind. What's the other kind? Is the right suffering. So what do we do? We try to navigate through the world being quiet about the Lord and avoiding the other. And we think we're doing well. And we're not. We're not. We're trying, by being quiet or worldly or not godly, and I mean put throwing it all in, right? Because God requires our entire lives, our entire souls, our entire heart. We throw it all in. We want to avoid that because that comes with suffering, right? My family doesn't like it when I talk to them about the Lord, or my neighbors don't, or, you know, I'm just going to just be quiet about it. And we're trying to navigate in a way that isn't going to work. And, and here's the thing. as Paul, Paul, So this letter to the Thessalonians is an encouragement. That's what the main theme of this is, is Paul is encouraging them to keep doing what they're doing and to do it even better. And the reward is great. And the suffering, he says, get excited about it because you're suffering in the right way. Not avoid it, but get excited about it. Uh, when Paul's in Corinth, he's very concerned. He doesn't, you know, you can't pick up his phone and call the Thessalonians and ask him how it's going. It's been a few months since he's left, and he doesn't know what has happened. He has left behind this young, brand new Christians, most of them Gentile, in the midst of a place that is so adamant to squash out Christianity that they followed Paul 40 miles. What happened to them? So he sends Timothy from Corinth. Sorry, from Athens. He sends Timothy. Timothy returns to him when Paul is in Corinth. Paul says to the Thessalonians, "I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to send somebody and find out how it was going." Timothy comes back, and this was Timothy's news: is that Thessalonica is full of faith, despite the persecution. They have not left your words, Paul. They have stuck with it. They have, uh, in fact, loved one another and increased in truth. And Paul is writing. Then Paul says, I've got to write to them. He writes this letter to encourage them to keep it going. It's an amazing because when Paul went into Corinth, Corinth is another huge metropolitan city, another seaport. In fact, Corinth has two seaports, one on the east, one on the west. Did I get that right? <laughs> And anyway, uh, one on the east, one on the west, and, and, it's, and Paul is a complete, his ministry is a complete failure in Athens. He goes over to Corinth, and his heart is broken. Yeah, it, Paul was really down when he got to Corinth. And he, now he has to face this incredible city. Like, are there going to be, there weren't believers in Athens, are there going to be believers in Corinth? Timothy returns. That Thessalonica is doing awesome. So we find here, that every letter in the New Testament is written for a reason. There's 27 letters. There's 27 reasons. That means that God the Holy Spirit picked, hand-picked, 27 letters. We know that there are some letters written by Paul that, that didn't make it. Holy Spirit said, eh, that one goes to the trash bin. But these he picked. There's 27 themes that we have to know. 
that God chose for us to know. They overlap greatly, absolutely. But each one has its unique character. And that's why we want to look at each one, see the theme, who's writing it, why are they writing it, when and to whom, and what are they saying to them, why are they, especially why are they writing the letter. And then we'll see from the Holy Spirit these 27 themes. In First and Second Thessalonians, the theme is actually the same for both. Uh, these two letters were written probably about a year apart, maybe even less. So Paul is in Corinth. He sends one letter. Very soon after, while he's still in Corinth, he sends the other. Around 50 A.D., by the way. And 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians is about encouragement to live a godly life despite persecution. And, and this is, see, this is an added bonus to these letters, is that Paul writes about the coming of the Lord. It would seem, now, the theme of the letter is not the coming of the Lord, but Paul adds it, both the rapture and the second coming, to encourage them. And so, you know, this, this is the narrow road. Take that picture, for instance. In the, if you go this narrow road, there's dangerous animals, there's thieves. Just take like Paul's missionary journeys. He's robbed, he's, he goes without food, he goes without water, he's exposure, he gets, he's in trouble. He gets stranded at sea multiple times. Wouldn't it be easier to just stay home? So what's down this narrow road? You know what? Suffering is. And you know what? The gra- I, in my opinion, the greatest suffering is the fact that you're going to tell your flesh no. No. And the flesh is going to fight you. You're going to suffer from your own person. And I say, no, my heart is for the Lord. Like that last wonderful song. Oh, Lord of my heart. My heart. Put it in your head. You and you alone. You and your way alone. You are the Creator. I am in your image. And now I am a new creature in your Son. I have to live the way that you have so graciously provided. And there's going to come suffering with that. And you don't know when or where or what that is going to come. We can try to avoid it. God says don't. Embrace it. This book is an encouragement in the journey of staying on the right path. We're not always going to do it. We're sinners. But the encouragement is always there. To stay on the right path, to live the new and living way, despite the suffering that comes upon the faithful believer. And with that encouragement, Paul says, look, the Lord is coming. This means two things. The Lord is coming, and you and I are going to get judged. Judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. He's going to judge us, all believers, for our deeds done, whether good or bad, and we're going to be recompensed. That is the extent of the detail we get on that moment. Wow, maybe it's more than a moment. (laughs) Uh, You have to remember about that, that when we are being judged by Christ, we'll be in our resurrection bodies. We won't be in these bodies anymore. And I think when, uh, I would very much assume that when the Lord brings up the bad, we're going to be like, yep, Not so much embarrassed, but in agreement. 
So that's one thing. The Lord's coming. Yeah. And also, it's not forever. And this takes us back to, if you remember the lesson on the Sabbath, the Jubilee. Was that last week? I can't remember. That the Jubilee, at the end of the 49 years, all the property went back, right? All the slaves were released. All the debts were released. It was a year of great celebration in which everybody shared with one another. At least they were supposed to. It's like heaven. It's Jubilee is heaven. It's an earthly heaven. And our Jubilee is coming. The Lord is coming. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. So here's what God is saying. If I'm returning to get you at the perfect proper time, can you go one more day down that narrow path? And we're all like, yeah, you know, yeah, Lord. <laughs> right? I don't know how you do it, but in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I can, I can do this. But if you're suffering for the wrong things, what path are you on? Wrong path. The zealots, you would say it's a noble cause, but they even wanted Jesus to kick the Romans out, and Jesus was not about that. Cross has to come before the crown people. No, I'm not here to take the Romans out. In fact, I want to leave them so that my church does suffer at the beginning. The church would suffer mightily at the hands of the Romans in the beginning. For actually, for 300 years almost. So if you're suffering for the wrong thing, you're on the wrong path. So if you chose the wrong path, repent. Right? Repent just means to turn around, change your mind. So let's look at it. After initially praising the Thessalonians for their faithfulness, Paul points to what they did in much tribulation. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You also become imitators of us and of the Lord. Became, sorry. You also became imitators of us in the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Achaia is where Athens and Corinth is, that area, just south of Macedonia. And so after Paul, Paul praises them, Paul got this report from Timothy. They were doing terrific spiritually. He praises them for that, which again is encouragement. Apply, implying that to us is we need, we need to. I do mean that. We need to encourage one another. As the writer of Hebrews says, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This means we have to stop thinking about ourselves at times and think of others. I'd say stop thinking about yourself most of the time. And wonder, you know, what are others going through? As you go through your prayer life, Look at those faces in your life. It doesn't take that much time. Pray for others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those our debtors, right? Pray for others and, and see, you know, what can I do? What encouragement? What words? What prayers? We will see in this letter and in all of Paul's letter, letters that it is a great weight on his heart that the churches are unified like a family. It's here. It's in, it's in pretty much every letter he writes. That we are unified one to another. Not isolated from one another, but unified to one another as we are. The body of Christ that is perfectly knit together. So Paul says, look, you've received the word in much tribulation. And notice, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
much tribulation came upon you, but you had joy in this. And remember, how much theology do these people know? Uh, zero. <laughs> well, all right, we won't say zero, but not much. It, it really hasn't been developed yet. This is so early on. This is 50 churches, 15 years old, 18 years old, they're about. And Paul, whatever Paul taught, Paul would have taught them quite a bit, so they would have known uh, what they would have known. But uh, let's say, let's put it this way. Let's say Paul taught them all, sorry, my computer. Paul taught them all the theology that he knew. How, how long have they been believers? Months. Months. <laughs> They're, they're, they're from paganism to Christianity. They're only a few months old, maybe a year tops. And yet Paul says, look, you have the joy of the Holy Spirit. You received the word in much tribulation. This is God telling us, look, that as soon as you're a born-again believer, get with it. All right, don't wait. So Paul then reminds them of the very difficult time that he had in ministering to them. When Paul came, he suffered greatly. That's all in chapter 2. And look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. So Paul does not a wonderful thing here. He identifies with them. And also identifies them with the churches in Judea. The Judea would be Jerusalem and the surrounding area. The churches in Judea suffered greatly. Paul says, you suffered just like they did. What does this mean? You are not alone, right? The suffering that you're enduring, your brethren are enduring all over the world. Uh, we are not alone in this. The suffering that I'm enduring is common. The suffering that you're enduring is common, meaning suffering for the word of God. And Paul says, I have suffered as you have. Paul says, I suffered for the gospel. You have suffered for the gospel. And so Paul is identifying with them. And therefore, if I'm suffering in the same way as the great apostle Paul, and if you're suffering in your Christian life, if, if you're walking the spiritual life and suffering for it, you're identifying with not Paul, with the Lord. Right? He brings the Lord in too. They killed the Lord and the prophets. They drove us out. They persecuted Judea. And now they're persecuting you. And right now in 2023, they're persecuting you. And so the whole royal family, right up to the head, who was the Lord Jesus Christ, have all suffered the same. Isn't that marvelous? Right? It's that we're a family. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, here. we're together in this, and the same enemy that killed the Lord is the same enemy that's after you. Don't you want to spit in their eye? Yeah, but not like a zealot. It's staying the course, running the race, laying aside the encumbrance that so easily entangles me, and keeping my eyes on the author and perfecter of faith, who himself suffered 
to the point of shedding blood. And you have, and as this, I'm quoting Hebrews 12. As the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't suffered that much, so keep on it. Keep running. That's how you spit in the enemy's eye. Can they separate you from the love of the Lord? Romans 8, nothing will separate us from the love of the Lord, not even death. Right? If I cling, hold fast the head, this is in Colossians 2, hold fast the head. It's a great little phrase because it says seize the head. Actually, if you, if you, <laughs> it's like you grab the Lord's head and you're like squeezing it. But gently, please. Uh, you know, hold fast the head. And can the devil, can the lies, can the sin, can the flesh, can the world, can they get in there and separate that? No, they cannot. This is Christianity. And all the doctrines that we're going to see that are in here are all pointing towards that same thing. God has left us in a world that is a suffering place. Suffering place. And yet you and I, have. And when we suffer, our witness will be greater, our witness will be clearer, you know, as the city on a hill cannot be hid. So this suffering that Paul is talking about, which is the suffering of the Lord, the prophets, those in Judea, those in Thessalonica, and Paul himself, is not the suffering of revolt. You know what they're going to do in Thessalonica? They're going to go into some guy's house and drag him out because they can't find Paul. You know, they got their pitch. I don't think they have pitchforks, but you know, they, you, you know, the the mob. They're going to go. <laughs> It's amazing. These Jews are going to go into the square and say, all right, who's who's a homeless jerk who wants to get rowdy? And they're all going to be oh, over here. And they're going to gather up this mob, and they're going to go to this guy's Jason's house. And they're going to drag him out. And then they're going to drag him to the authorities. Thessalonica, well, it's not up there anymore, but Thessalonica is the seat. It's the capital of the province. So the the, the state house is there, if you will. And they're going to drag him there. So it's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. They're going to go into his house and they're going to drag him out. It's a violation of the First Amendment because Jason has religious freedom, doesn't he? No. He has no rights whatsoever. He has the rights that the Romans say he has. And they drag him out. So, shouldn't he be fighting for religious freedom in Rome? Did Jesus tell us to do that? Mm-mm. Yeah, this uh, uh, this isn't a, a fight over the First Amendment. This is a fight for the gospel, for the souls of men. And look, we can lawfully fight for rights and laws that are fair in our nation. Absolutely. But in Christianity, when God says you're going to suffer unfairly, and you will, we are not to seek a way out. And that is, uh, that is the word endurance, perseverance, waiting on the Lord. Someone quoted to me the other day was uh, Moses at the Red Sea saying, Be silent and wait for the deliverance of the Lord. But Moses, right? 
He didn't know what he was getting into 40 years later. Poor man is right. And he doesn't even get into the promised land. Uh, Religious freedom is not the concern of the believers in Thessalonica or anywhere. They are not suffering as revolutionaries against the government. government. They are revolutionaries. And we are revolutionaries, but we're revolutionaries against the patterns of sin and evil that persist over people's hearts. And we cannot just force them to change. What we do is we show them the Lord. Through our words and through our actions, we show them. There is deliverance here, bro. Bro and sis, there's deliverance in this. You have an addiction? I know the cure. I do mean cure. Are you overrun by sin? I know the cure. Are you miserable and lonely and uh, despairing and depressed? I know the cure. I live the cure. That is a revolutionary against that which is truly God's enemy. So the encouragement of the letter also includes the uh, second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. Uh, so what did I have here? I missed I missed the slide here. So Paul says, look, just like I said before we read here, you suffered just like Judea, like I do, like the Lord did, like the prophets did. We're all in this together. We have all suffered at the hands of God's enemies. And this is the suffering of camaraderie, or sorry, the encouragement of camaraderie. Yeah, if you know someone who has suffered in the same way that you have, and they have persisted, it's an amazing encouragement. And I liken it to war. You know, this camaraderie, not that I know anything about it. Some of you have served and, and, have, have, and know this way more than I do. Uh, but there's this in the military as well. I'm listening to uh, Chris Kyle's book, uh, American Sniper, right now. I listen to books as I drive in and out. Boy, that guy swears up a storm. Uh, it's really hilarious. Uh, and I found my, you know, I listened to it from driving home. It's about 20, 25 minute, 20 minute drive here. And I get home and I've listened to Chris Kyle swear up a storm. And, and then I get home and I'm like, I find myself, you know, almost swearing, I almost. Well, when Maggie's not around, I'm like, you know, it comes out, and I'm like, whoa, that's not, I don't do that anymore. I used to do it all the time, but anyway, be careful what you listen to. I still love it. I, I, I love the, the work that he did over there in, in Iraq, but, um, you know, he, he speaks of that in the book. You know, there, there's this, and an encouragement that this, this he, Chris Kyle was an amazing soldier, an amazing soldier. And he encouraged the others who fought with him. He protected a lot of lives. And he actually was able to uh, um, adapt his fighting style to something that worked better than what the SEALs told him to do. He, he, he did that, but then he said, you know, this will work better, and he adapted it. And then he ended up teaching that method to others, and he saved lives by that. And it's, that's a very important application to us as believers because 
though others encourage us, we have to adapt our own lives to what truly works uh, in our lives based on the truth. Not adapting the truth, but adapting us. No, no two lives are exactly the same. I'm not to copy someone else, but I can, I can, we all are to copy the virtues of Christ himself. And as you do that, and I do that, and we both fall flat on our faces at times, and we also both have victories at times, we encourage each other with this. Christian way of life is not to be lived in isolation. I, I know people who try to do that. It's them and their computer, or them and their, as Pastor Bob used to always say, them in their tape recorder. And, uh, and you know, they, they're trying to isolate themselves from the royal family of God, from a church, from a body, and not serve and not be a part of people's lives. And it, it, you're missing an entire chunk of Christianity if you try that. So this is sharing the suffering in the same noble venture. Again, getting back to our intro with Masada, we have to make sure that our noble venture is the Lord's noble venture and not something of our own making. And then he encourages us with the coming of Christ. This is the encouragement of Jubilee. I made that up. I feel entitled. The encouragement of Jubilee. That's some old coot in his cane. Sorry, Roger. Uh, going up to heaven there. Too bad Kelly's not here with the other cane, but uh, yeah, see, you can do those. That's your last staircase <laughs> with your cane. And what? It's all temporary, folks. It's all temporary. We're going to be in heaven, and this isn't going to last forever, no matter what the trials are. There's no trials up there. How we handle them now is the only time we handle them. That is a sobering thought to me as well. Only now. We make millions of decisions a day. Every one of those decisions need to be right. Whew, that's a lot of pressure. Thank God for the grace of God. We're not going to get them all right. So relax, but get at it. Right? This is what the Lord is telling us. This is what Paul is telling us. He's encouragement. This letter, first and sec- these two, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, is encouragement from a leader to those who are following his lead. Right? It's follow me up this hill. It's follow me through this valley. It's follow me through this fire. And, you know, it's the Lord that is with us the whole way. And because of that, we can all do it. Because we all have the Lord. So we're going to see more uh, this week. We'll look into uh, what Paul presents about the coming of the Lord. And so we'll see a bit of eschatology there. Uh, And today's class is to focus on, as I said, the legitimate reasons for suffering and contrast them with the illegitimate reasons. Um, Where is my, did I not put Peter in? I didn't. I'll just read it for you. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Make sure none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer. I say, okay, well... I have stolen. I was a little kid, though. Murderer, I haven't done that. Evildoer, eh. And then he adds, troublesome meddler. Ah, right? I was doing good until I got to the end of the list. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. 
The name what? Christian. Meaning of Christ. Don't be ashamed. And he's going to say in chapter uh, verse 12, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you for your testing. And he says, or Peter says right after that, but rejoice, rejoice. For the same reason that James says it, the same reason that Paul says it, the same reason that John says it. Rejoice because this is creating you endurance, which is going to glorify the Lord. As, Paul, as Peter says here, don't be ashamed, but this is to glorify God. And now is our opportunity to do it. All right, go to Acts chapter 17. Let's see what happens when Paul gets into Thessalonica. This is great. It, you know, there's so much unfairness here and law breaking, and it's just not right. <laughs> and, and Thessalonica becomes a hub of Christianity. They tried to squash it, like like has been written so many times. You can't do anything against the truth. Uh, when they tried to squash the, the, the Hebrews in, in Egypt. You know, right? Pharaoh said, kill all the firstborn males. Or, sorry, all the males, not just firstborn. And they prospered even more. Acts 17.1 Now when they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So this is Paul's M.O. at this point. He's going to go into the synagogue and teach them. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths, three Saturdays, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Uh, So now this method of teaching is not actually Paul's invention. And this is fantastic because in Luke 24, the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus in his resurrection body shows up to the apostles who are all hiding out in the room and he teaches them. So notice, he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. That is the message that Paul's given in the synagogue. And Jesus is pointing to the prophets, the Psalms, Moses. And he's saying, Look, and I already taught you this, but we get it. You guys are slow, so are the rest of us. This is, it shows it clearly the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer. He must die, and then he will raise again. It's all here. Paul goes into the synagogue and says, I guarantee it's the same passages that Jesus taught them. Paul's going to go to these same passages that are familiar to many of us, and he's going to say, look, here's the Messiah dying. Here's the Messiah suffering. Here's the Messiah uh, on the cross, in fact. Hands and feet are pierced, Psalm 16. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Psalm 22. I thirst, Psalm 31. It's all here. And then he must be raised again. Isaiah 53. And Paul teaches this. And they all said, well, bravo, Paul. Thanks for this. Not so much. 
Paul tells us in Acts that, uh, well, Luke tells us in Acts, that when Paul went to various synagogues, that they would beat, in many cases, they would beat the hell out of him. And we know this is another amazing thing, that Paul is a Roman citizen. And if you are a non-Roman citizen, even if you are a Roman citizen, you are not allowed outside the law to beat another Roman citizen. It's one of the privileges of being a Roman citizen. Paul says nothing about this. He lets them beat him for the gospel. So, have any of us suffered to that length? No. And we want to be, I don't don't say we, I'm not talking about anybody, right? But it's the nature of I don't want people to look down upon me or I don't want people to uh, persecute me, so I'm just going to be quiet about the gospel. Paul's so not quiet about the gospel that he's willing to get whipped and beaten for it. And, And so, as he said, I bear the stripes of Christ on my body. Um, and none of us are going to here in the West or in America are going to suffer to that extent. And so God is going to teach us to embrace the suffering that does come for the right reason. So uh, notice also that, uh, well, he doesn't say it here. At the end of the passage, I didn't put the whole passage up there. He says to them, look, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this shows us that they can't teach this message of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord to the world without the Spirit. And that, what does that show us? It's not me just reading a script. Anybody, a computer can do that. I could do that, right? I mean, I, I could pick my favorite gospel passages and just read them to people. So where does the, why do I need the Holy Spirit to do this? And it's because the witness comes from my person, right? It's not just my words. It's how I say them. It's, you know, and there's no method here that, that I'm talking about. What I mean is, is that I'm a living epistle. And each of us are this. If, I, if I'm teaching the gospel and I don't live the truth of the gospel, my witness is weak. Very weak. So, the method of evangelization is through the Holy Spirit. All right. It is common to all who witness in every letter of the New Testament that they suffer for being a herald of the gospel. They suffer at the hands of the enemy. And each of us individually as a church has to evaluate ourselves to see if we're heralding the witness or if we're just trying to play it safe. Do not seek persecution, but be honest with yourself before God as whether you are an open witness. And do so in prayer and on a regular basis because you could be an open witness today and a week, a month from now, even tomorrow, you could be a non-open witness. And we, it is, you know, the world's hurting. They need the truth. Another pastor told me a couple of weeks ago, that he was convinced that there's a holiness movement going through the church. And in his own church, what I mean by a holiness movement is not um, not like a Pentecostal thing, but that the church is being called to truly live in the manner by which we've been called. 
and not to just take it easy. And that was his opinion. And I, I was like, you know, and he, when he told me that, I was like, I just started the book of James. And he was like, see? And so I was like, yeah, you might be right. <laughs> you might be right. You know, whatever the God, what, what is God calling us to do? You can hear his voice. We all do if we're humble enough to hear it. All right, so after Paul teaches in the synagogue, oh, there they come. Three weeks he's there. Uh, and this happened in every city, pretty, pretty much every city he went to. Now, Jews are being told that they're no longer under the law of Moses by a fellow Jew who was a Pharisee, and they don't like that. Gentiles now, so here's the other thing. Do we see them yet? I'm sorry, talking to myself here. Here we go, here we go. Uh all right, go to verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks. There they are. And a number of the leading women. What are God-fearing Greeks? These are Gentiles who have been proselytized by the Jews and they've been in the process of being converted to Judaism. In other words, they're in the synagogue and there's quite a few of them. And they're in this process, and the, the Jews had this long process by which you as a Gentile could become a Jew. Now, think of this, and you know what these religious Jews were like from the Gospels, right? They are arrogant, proud, they're full of themselves. And if I have some, and I don't look kindly upon Gentiles, the goyim, I do not, no, they're the dirty ones. But they want to be a Jew, okay, I'll teach you how to be a Jew, and it's a long process. You are beholden to me in this long process. Too bad you're not like me, born a Jew, (laughs) but you're not, loser. But I can teach you how to be less of a loser. You'll never be like me. Oh, don't even try. But I'll get you a little closer. And then this Paul guy comes into the synagogue and teaches this stuff. And these Gentiles are like, I want that. You mean what? It's not this huge, long process of works by which I become someone righteous? Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. The Messiah makes you righteous in a moment because he died for you on the cross and paid the price for all of your sins and took your place in judgment. You are propitiated. You are reconciled. You are made righteous. You are justified by faith and faith alone. Sign me up. I was just about to get circumcised. Woo! Can you see whether they would have hated him for this? Where are you going with our with our students that we love to make grovel at our feet? No one's groveling at our feet anymore. And the women? Women? Right? Aren't you lesser beings? Aren't you the weak members of the race? <laughs> but in the church, no male or female. You are as equal as anybody. In Christ Jesus. The women were like, sign me up for that. No more standing at the back of the synagogue wondering what's happening. Uh, These religious Jews were uh, through and through separatists. They separated. You know, none of you are as good as us. And Christ turned the world upside down. And notice what they say of Paul. 
So in verse 4, some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and the number of the leading women. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace. I love how they went to the, and got a, a bunch of thugs. <clears throat> Formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. Now, Jason is someone who apparently let Paul and his people stay with him. In other words, he supported them. Jason here would be a believer. They drag him out of his house. Apparently, they can't find Paul. And bring him out to the people. Verse 6, when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men have upset the world and have come here also. Boy, how prophetic. These men have upset the world. They have no idea how upset the world's going to be by the truth of the gospel and the word of God and the Holy Spirit. The whole world is going to be set free and all the oppressed are going to be free. All the slaves, all those who were the lower class are going to be set free. And all others, too, if they're willing to believe. These men have upset the world and will come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. It sounds so much like what they said of the Lord in the square. Right? We have no other king but Caesar, said the crowd. Right? When they said, when Pilate said, is this your king? That's the picture we have over there by the door. Eche homo, is this, behold the man, is this your king? And they said, we have no other king but Caesar. These guys are saying the same thing. They act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and city authorities who heard these things. And, uh, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Now, we'll, we'll talk about this later. I think this is enough for today, but... We have to look at what this pledge is from Jason and by which he was released. We have to wonder, did Jason cave to the pressure and, you know, promise, say? Because here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.17. We wanted to come to you. Like This is after he left. And he said, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. And could it be that Jason's deal with them was that, yeah, we won't, we won't let Paul in anymore. We won't support his people. We won't give him a place to stay. We have no idea. Uh, but it does lead us to, you know, uh, one of the uh, aspects of suffering in the Christian life, which is other Christians who throw in the towel. I don't know if Jason did, but it brings up the point. That whatever this pledge was, it... The Greek word means satisfaction. I made the authority satisfied somehow. And how did he do that? We don't know. But it brings up the point that as you're running this race to receive the prize, are others going to be running with you? Maybe, maybe not. Whoever is running with you, I remember Pastor Gene Cunningham, I can remember this from years ago, him teaching this message, saying, as you're running the race, look to the left, look to the right, and whoever's running with you, those are your companions. And he he was actually teaching a a message on on marriage, 
and uh, he was teaching young people, run the race, look to the left, look to the right. If it's a member of the opposite sex, that's important. And if they're running with you, that's a good candidate. Right? Running with you. But not everybody's gonna. And there, there's a whisper in your ear. It's a form of suffering that looks, you don't have to be so adamant about this and so committed. Why don't you slow down? We have to be careful. There's suffering in this. There's wrong suffering. Zealots at Masada. Noble cause. Wrong cause. There's proper suffering, which is what we read here of Paul. For the gospel, for the truth, through the spirit, to set people free, the world, the devil are going to fight against this. That's proper suffering. Paul says, God says, embrace that. Embrace that suffering. And then... Avoid that middle road that says, I just want to stay under the radar and not open my mouth or live anything that's going to, I don't want to step on any toes and I'm just going to try and get through this as easy as I can. That is not the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the means in which we can understand what you've called us to and also to understand Father, the the greatness of this calling to our lives. We leave the the impact of what we may have upon others in this world to you. But what we must do is follow you, picking up our crosses, following that narrow path. Teach us to look forward to and long, not long for, that's too strong, but to embrace the suffering that comes upon us for your word and your truth. Let us not fear it. We'll never suffer to the extent that Paul did or our Lord did. But we keep our eyes fixed on on them and run the race that is set before us in seeking the prize that comes to those who win. We thank you, Father, for the fact that winning is grace and mercy and all of us can do it by means of your power. Show us how. In Christ's name, amen. take our offering and that will do. So I'm at my computer this morning and I'm like, all right, I got about an hour. I had some ideas to kind of touch up the message and then I looked down at the clock on the computer and I didn't have an hour. (laughs) I completely forgot about daylight savings. Thank God for electronics that update. All right, let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to to give. As your believer priest, we give to you in honor of you. Father, we seek that you uh, continue to support your word here and the people who uh, proclaim it and and work to uh, make it proclaimed. And we, Father, thank you and ask that you bless the offering. In Christ's name, amen.
God, I love Garth Brooks. Yeah. I had a doctor's appointment this uh, this week, and they they play music. They pipe music into the room that you like. They have little little echoes in every room, like the the Amazon thing, and they ask you what's your favorite music, and they write it in your file. And then when you go there, that's the music that they pipe into your room. Isn't that, isn't that cool? So my doctor comes in. It's playing some, uh, I forget, some song. And he's like, you know, I love Led Zeppelin. And I'm like, that's not Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and he was just joking. He's a funny guy. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. Uh, the final moments of our service are always dedicated to anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior And if you are listening and you are on the fence about Christ or don't know anything about him, all you need to know is one thing. It's faith as a mustard seed. And that is that he and he alone is the savior of the world. He alone hung on the cross to die for all the sins of the world. He died for your sins and he died for mine. He died for everybody's. No one else has done that for you. No other religion has offered salvation that the, in which the cost has been paid by someone else than you. You cannot pay that cost, no matter how hard you try. Maybe you have been trying, and it has caused you great misery and stress. That stress and misery can be removed in one moment by believing in Christ as your Lord and Savior. He took the stress. He took the misery. He took the payment for sin upon Himself so that you and I and be free from sin and death. When he died, he rose again on the third day. And if you believe in Christ as your Savior, you will also rise and be with him forever in eternity in heaven. It's a great decision. So believe in Christ as your Savior and you will be saved. Thank you, Father. And bless this day for us all. In Christ's name, amen.